0: Let's look together this morning at God's Word in Exodus 19. We did the first eight verses last week. I want us to pick up right where we left off, looking at verses 9 through 15. Let me read God's Word to us. Exodus 19, beginning at verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the world, told the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord also said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. He said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. We see several times in that passage, verse 10, verse 14, to wash up. Wash the, your garments. Get ready. Uh, did you wash up? Did you wash your clothes and get ready for church this morning? I mean, where does some of that even thought even come from as you start thinking about it here? Oh, wait a minute. Is is that something i really need to do is that is that a requirement that i I wash up to to meet with god well it's repeated here several times and that's not the 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 only thing that's repeated it's this constant uh reminder uh verse 10 says wash verse 11 says be ready verse 12 says set boundaries around yourself verse 14 says wash again verse 15 says get ready again if we could somehow get our intimacy with God connected to our reverence for God, it's going to take our relationship with God to a whole new level. We sometimes grow so accustomed to the intimacy we have with God that we forget that this relationship is very unique. God is not like us. God is God. We tend to make him in our own image. And as a result, we rush into this relationship with him and forget how very different he is. As the Israelites were entering into this relationship with God, God makes it very clear to them that there is a huge difference between you and I. And you, you need to get ready for that. You need, did I say it again? You need to get ready for that. You need to watch for that. You need to be set apart for that. You need to consecrate yourselves for that. And I think a lot of the language here is ceremonial. This is a formal meeting with God. This is a ceremonial kind of cleansing. But spiritually, it's the same as we think about preparing our hearts you know it might might help to remember you go back to uh, exodus chapter 3 i shared this last week that mount sinai was the very place god met with moses which is strategic in that he tells moses at that place i'm going to send you into egypt i'm going to let you be the leader you're going to get the people and you're going to bring them right back here so moses has already scouted out the area he's had to walk it a couple times He knew where he was taking them because he had already been there and God had already met him there. But when God did meet him there, you go back to Exodus 3, verse 12, and you you remember this uh, burning bush story. Uh, Well, not verse, uh, I forget what verse I just told you. Verse 5, he says, Then he said to him, Do not come near here. It's like, wait a minute. The previous verse, God speaks Moses, Moses. Moses kind of gets up, starts, no, 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 stop. Don't come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So Moses has already been introduced to this relationship with God, that when we get to chapter 19, he's, he gets it, he's introducing all of the people. You got to do what I had to do. When I entered into this time with God, this formal meeting with God, I had to take off my shoes. I had to wash up as good as I could in the place that I was at the time. I had to recognize that God's not like me. God says, the ground that I stand upon is holy. In other words, if God shows up, holiness shows up. And that's something none of us are familiar with. We are finite, sinful creatures. Not a one of us has ever stumbled upon holiness. It's not in the mess and muck of life. It doesn't just show up. We don't plan it. We don't get there by accident. If we walk through our normal day, through our normal lives, we are walking a sinful path and holiness has to show up. We don't create it. We don't stumble upon it. When God comes down, holiness shows up. He says, you need to be ready for that. That's that's a serious Relationship that you don't have with anyone else. This relationship with holiness. He says, so you, you see the language, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. Wash, get ready, set bounds. Let me say it again. Wash, get ready, set bounds. It's like, and, and realize the seriousness. If you don't do this, you may surely die. He really emphasizes that and I think it's hard for us sometimes to get it uh give you an illustration Um, for a while we had two Labrador retrievers we bred them then we had nine Labradors whoa it broke the bank on food so I started giving them away but anybody who's ever been around Labradors you know they're one of the most affectionate dogs on the planet they love people they love you You know, they don't come barking at you to tear you apart, but rather to jump in your lap and pour on affection. And as they grow to be a massive dog, you know, they can knock you down with this affection. They never, one of the things I noticed about my dogs, I don't know about yours, that they never once gave any thought to the fact that their feet might be muddy. Not once. You know, as. I'm getting ready for church, coming to church, and I want to go out there and just pet the dog. Oh, you know, they're going to just bowl me down. There's mud everywhere, you know, if it's been raining or whatever. They're outside dogs. How much of our life is like that? Do we realize when we go to God, there's mud on our hands, in our lives, and we want to, Embrace and be affectionate with him who is pure, clean, righteous, without spot, without blemish, completely, perfectly holy. How do you connect the two entities? A sinful being with a holy being. Like I said, if we can get that, it changes everything. Now, of course, before I even get into the text and you begin to see it there more, I'll go ahead and spill the beans. We, we know the New Testament come, is coming. We know Christ is coming. This is the reason, one of the reasons we need Christ between us and God. And this is why we need the cleansing blood of Christ is because we can't approach God without cleansing show you a New Testament passage. Look at First Timothy, chapter 2. Just so you keep it in mind as we go through the Exodus 19. But First Timothy, chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God... And one mediator also between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. The testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore I want the men in every place to pray. Lifting up. Don't miss the word holy. Holy hands without wrath and dissension. Now notice what Paul is saying here. He says, God's our savior. But for us to get to God, we need a a go-between. We need a mediator. There's only one mediator. There's only one person who can get a sinner to the holy God. That's Christ Jesus Jesus came to pay the price for our sin to cleanse us with his blood so that we can become holy in him or have his righteousness so that then righteousness and righteousness can meet. But as it is without Christ, you can't meet God. He says, so Christ comes in and he makes a way for us to meet with God. And then then he says, so go and pray. But it's interesting when he says pray, He uses this language, you you give yourselves to God in prayer. It's like lifting your hands to him. And when you lift your hands to God in prayer, don't think that you shouldn't have concern for your own sin. Make sure the hands you lift in prayer are hands that are without anger and without malice and without Sin. They should be holy hands. Do we get that? That we are still approaching holiness. And so when we grow this relationship with God, we must have this concern for our own holiness. We must be consecrated. Because he is holy. He's consecrated. He is set apart for a holy, sinless life we must be as well. And obviously that cannot happen without Christ. We need Christ. We need His cleansing. But I just, I want us to begin to to, to to wrestle with how do we get into God's presence without just waltzing in and having no concern for our own life, our own holiness, our own need of Christ. So thinking that through, I've uh, used the word holy as an acronym. And so, how do I go into the presence of God? So, H stands for humbly. O stands for observant. L stands for leashed. And Y stands for yielded. And I want to kind of unpack Exodus 19. and You see these elements there. That as the people of God are, are brought into th- this relationship with God, they are taught to be humble. Observant, leashed, and yielded before God, Exodus nineteen verse nine. He begins with the word. The Lord said to the the, peop, uh, the Lord said to Moses, "Behold, behold means stop, look. Don't don't miss this. This is significant. Behold, in the next words. So, what am I supposed to pay attention to? Pay attention to the fact I will come to you." I will come to you. How do we get into a relationship with God? God comes to us. It happens by his initiative. Like I said, it's just impossible for us who are sinners to ever stumble into a relationship with God. Because we're not going to, you know, walk around the corner and say, Whoa, I didn't see that coming. He's not going to be there in our sinful realm. God has to come into that realm. He doesn't dwell in sin, which is where we dwell. He dwells in holiness. He says, Hold, I will take initiative. I will come to you. And even the language here I will will be wrapped in a thick cloud to demonstrate this separation between you and me that exists. And we sometimes miss. God is the one taking the, the initiative. He's coming to us. Let me share a few verses. Look at Job chapter 11. Comes just before the book of Psalms. Job 11, beginning at verse 7. I love the wisdom of, in the book of Job. It's packed so much. Catch this. Job 11, verse 7. Can you discover the depths of God. Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? I mean, it's rhetorical. It's like, no, that'd be impossible. Verse 8, they are high as the heavens. What can you do? How do you get as high as the heavens to explore this and discover this? They're deeper than Sheol. So what can you know? God's depths and riches are so deep, so high, it's impossible through empirical knowledge to get there. We can't know it. We sometimes think we do. Verse 9, its measure is longer than the earth. And it's... I mean, so you would have to go beyond the earth. Way beyond what we even think of space exploration to discover the, the depths and the riches of God. And it's broader than the sea. If he passes by or shuts up or calls an assembly, who can restrain him? For he knows false men and he sees iniquity without even investigating. That's God. Begin to comprehend. That's, That's the one we have this relationship with. He's so much unlike us. So try to Bring back, pull back that image, that mindset you have of God that he's like you. We reinvent him, reinvent him in our image so much. Um, But God is not there. Let me share you another passage. Uh, Look at Psalm 139. Beginning... Verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Now let me back up and see where we just went. Verse 1 to 6. Oh, Lord, you've searched me. You know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. And then you got to verse 6, like, wow. That knowledge, too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Look over at Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. That's our God. Behold, you're coming into the presence of somebody whose greatness and his glory is beyond finding out. The depth and the riches of his knowledge is way beyond the scope of anything we can do with all of our advanced technology. We can't get there. So, if he's that great, if he's that awesome, if he's that eternal, if he's that measureless, then how should you come before him? Humbly. We're pretty small in this relationship. Coming before our holy God should always be a, an extreme, humble maneuver. Maneuver. On our part, as we as we think about getting into this relationship with God, we think we get there by our own self discovery. That doesn't ever happen, you know, Which is why I've said, you know, when people come to me and say, you know, I, David, I just don't need, you know, another discipleship class. I, you're not preaching on that again. I, I've already heard a sermon on that, and that kind of language. Well, first of all, it's extremely naive to the depths and the riches of Christ. But secondly, it's very proud and it's very arrogant because you've created this mindset that you've been doing this relationship with God for 20 plus, 30 plus years. And so you now know a thing or two. You already got it down. I don't need to hear that sermon again. I don't need to hear that passage again. I don't need to go there again. I got it. And that understanding is so wrong because it's, it's like I've learned all this myself and not realizing we didn't learn anything ourselves. It was only because of self-disclosure. God disclosed himself. He took the initiative to come to us. We never stumble upon him. He's always revealing himself to us. You remember Psalm 19, he says, it says like a day, he says, the sun comes up over the mountains. He says, it reveals itself to the world. He says, my word is that revealing myself to you. Constantly, What I know, what you know, I know because God has taken the time and the initiative to teach me. And I should never, ever think that somehow in my finite ability, I have exhausted the knowledge of God and he has nothing else to share. God has so much more. He tells us in Corinthians, he says, I has not seen, ear has not heard all that I have prepared to share with you. There is so much more. If I told you now, it would blow you away. Which is why you, you keep digging into the Word of God. You keep entering into this relationship with, you, with, with Christ. And, and you see that it just, it's just constantly invigorating. There's just more and more and more. And it, you can't exhaust. There's no way for a finite creature to ever fi- to exhaust in, an infinite being. And he's not just infinite in his being, he's infinite in his actions, he's infinite in every part of his character, and he has all of it in absolute perfection, without sin. So see that in this relationship God is bringing the Israelites into, he says, behold, I'm coming to you. That's pretty significant. You need to stop and look at that, he says. I'll be in a thick cloud, but I am speaking to you. And that changes everything. It changes how we live. We should live humbly that we're the ones who've been approached by a holy God and invited to join a relationship with him. Second, I want us to see not only should we be humbly uh, before him, but we should be so observant. Verse 12 and 13, he says, you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, beware, don't don't go up on the mountain or touch the border. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Now, whether beast or man, you think about that. He says, you're going to be shot through. If, if If you... Jump into this relationship without recognizing your sinner, God's holy. So you don't come in humbly. You don't, you're not observant to, 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 to think through what's about to happen here. He says, You become so profane. You become so detestable. Not only should you die. But you should die by people shooting you through with an arrow or dropping stones on your head from the top of the cliff. You have become so detestable. I don't want other people to even touch you. I want them to execute you from a distance. By shooting you, throwing stones. That's what's going on here. It says observe the significance of this relationship with holiness. That to not observe it condemns you. It, it brings us into a state of uh, just total disrespect of who it is uh, we're talking to. Look at Ecclesiastes. Here's one of the clearest passages on, on the subject. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 10, 1 and 2, excuse me. It says, guard your steps. See, same kind of language, Exodus 19. Be on your guard, be careful, watch it. Ecclesiastes 5, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they don't know that they are doing evil. Verse 2, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is where? In heaven. And you're on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. He said, said, observe the distance between us. This relationship, yes, there's an intimacy, but there's also a huge gap there's a huge distance God is in heaven we are on earth he's in holiness we are sinners when you go into this relationship be quick to listen you don't know it all yet don't go jibber jabber you know it's kind of don't be just talking all about yourself when you get into this relationship with God it's more like speak Lord your servant is listening what will you reveal today? When you open your Bibles, as the psalmist said, Psalm 119, verse 8, 118, um, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Open my eyes. I'm not going to see it unless, God, you take the initiative and reveal it to me. I, I just won't ever stumble upon it. I need a teacher. I need a master. in Christ is willing to be that teacher and that master for us. Let's observe this significance, distance between us and God. Um, verse 13 of Exodus 19 Don't break that boundary. Don't break the boundary. It's so profane to break it. It's, it's, it's just disrespectful. It's dishonoring um, the whole relationship. You know, what might we need to... Observe the distance in our relationship. I've already mentioned one thing in 1 Timothy 2 that when we go to God in prayer there should be a certain examination of our own heart. Do, do we go to Him sinfully? We're lifting our hands and say "Can we? can we touch? Can we speak? Are our hands without anger and malice and sin? Are we lifting up Holy hands. There should be a serious contemplation of our own life, evaluating our own deeds, our own thoughts as we pray. Do we sometimes go into prayer without much thought? I know I do, and it's one of the sins I have to confess over and over. Lord, that prayer was much too quick. Now, I realize there's prayers that need to be quick. The prayer, help, yeah, it needs to be quick a lot of times. Help! And sometimes that's reflex more than thought. But there's times when, when we pray about things, we need to really think about, I'm approaching a holy God with this request. Let's get real. Let's get serious. Let's deal with sin. Another thing perhaps we can do to observe this distance between us is, you know, the psalmist always talked about, do we, do we come into the house of the Lord empty-handed? And King David says, I will never worship in such a way that it doesn't cost me something. He says, "When I come before God, I don't want to come with nothing in my hands. I want to come and bring Him a gift because He's so worthy and He's given so much. And and the gift is 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 nothing as far as God's concerned. It's just a it's just a statement. It's it's it's, a, it's an action of honor." Where you're just giving the gift because you love God so, and you're so thankful. It's not because you supply Him. God says, you don't supply me with anything. I have all I need. But He asks of us honor. He asks of us thoughtfulness. He asks of us to, re- to respect the distance between holiness and sinfulness, between heaven and earth. So that's what I mean by observing Uh, that distance in the relationship so that somehow we maintain a relationship of great honor and great respect of God third so we come to God humbly we come observant we come leashed verse 12 when it says set bounds for the people all around a boundary it can be a fence it can be a rope it can be any kind of thing Uh, think about it in terms of a leash when you put a leash on a dog what are you doing? You're holding him back. You're, you, you're setting a boundary. And the reason you, you put the leash on is so that the dog won't bound into something that's inappropriate or be disrespectful to your surroundings. So you, you rein him in, you pull him back. No, 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 you can stay right here. Where this leash lets you go, because that would be honorable, that will be respectful. If I let you run wild, you know, many people will not like that. It's going to be dishonorable. It's not honoring them, it's not respecting them, it's not respecting the surroundings. God is telling us the same way set bounds, leash yourself so that we don't act in unholy freedom or such familiarity with god that that we miss it. I, i'll give you another illustration think about it this way you remember when queen esther was raised up to save the jewish people and she the custom was when you went in to talk to the king you had to get permission if you showed up in the king's presence without permission he didn't take the initiative to invite you in you could die that was the custom So Queen Esther kind of walks out in the lobby area with the king in his private quarters, you know, hoping to get an invite in. And when he finally sees her through the doorway, you know, who's out there? I see some movement out there. It's Queen Esther. She wants to talk. And she's fearful. And he takes his holy scepter and points it her direction, which means you have permission to enter. You will not die. We, our culture is similar in that we knock on the doors. Anybody in there? Can I come in? Now, if you just knock and, and enter, it's disrespectful. But we knock and we ask for permission. And I think these boundaries here are something like that. It's like, set these boundaries. So if people understand, and yet, how maybe casual have we become in our relationship with God, that we've, we've removed all the boundaries. And we just jump into time with God without thought. That there's a, there's a big difference between God and us. We must come through Christ. We must be clothed in His righteousness. We must give thought to that so that we turn from sin and we lift up holy hands that we're humble We're observant. We're properly leashed so that it's not dishonoring and it's not disrespectful. Uh, This this idea of of God's our our, buddy-buddy, or I hate it when people say, you know, I had a talk with the man upstairs. That kind of language is like, he's not a man upstairs. That's too disrespectful that's too menial for who God really is when I hear that language it's like oh, man I need to, to help you because you, you really don't know God if that's how you refer to him he's much greater and bigger than you've ever imagined and you you're, you're, think you're entering into his presence but you do so with such disrespect for who it is you're seeking to spend time with um I, 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 I'm, I'm wrestling with how to, 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 to set the proper boundaries and to, to leash myself. I know I need it. Uh, I set boundaries for myself every day with my cruise control. Does anybody need help with speeding? I, I, let me just take a quick survey. Around this, this facility, the speed limit, if you don't know, is 35, okay? Okay? Coming to or from here, has anybody in the past week stayed 35 or less all the way? One person, another, a few. Okay. Y'all are phenomenal. I have the hardest time with that. I need to be reined in. Pull it back. Going too fast. I love the cruise control. I set it at 35 and 40. I'm glad it works down there because I know I so quickly get up. If the law enforcement officer has a speed trap just ahead, what, do you, what speed do you drive? The speed limit, right? And it's so comforting if I got that cruise control and the lights light up, and I say, ha, huh, it's not me. I got I got a leash. I'm I'm respectful. I'm honoring the law. Now, if I need to honor the law that's over me, and if I need to honor the people who are around me with a speed leash, how much more do I need to honor the God who is holy? And I come flying into his presence disrespectful of his laws his commands his desires his wishes how how do we think through growing in this relationship with god that we're properly leashed we're constrained and controlled subdued by the word of god to be acting and thinking and speaking consistent with it that's what i think is going on here understand This relationship is worth that. And then also this fourth word. So we come before God humbly, observant, leashed. And we come yielded. You see over and over this yieldedness to what God wants. Verse 10. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Uh, Wash their garments. Be ready. Uh, verse 11, let them get ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down. And then again in verse 15, uh, wash their garments. Or that's the end of verse 14. Consecrate the people. And they wash their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Don't go near a woman. And what's all that about? Again, I think it's ceremonial language. He's not saying that there's anything wrong with your garments. There's nothing wrong with a woman. There's nothing wrong with sexual relationships with a woman. That's not his point. His point is, are you prepared for this relationship with God? Or are you just thinking about your normal routines? This is a relationship that you ought to get ready for that you ought to wash up for. You need to quit doing what you're doing if anything is about sex relationships. Stop that for just a minute and think about this relationship with God. That's what he's saying. He says, you need to be yield, so ready to yield to whatever God says and does. That you've changed everything you're doing for this formal meeting so that you're ready to listen you draw near to listen and respond. Uh, God's told us that before, and we'll, we enter into it again here in just a minute. Uh, in the New Testament, no change really. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, this warning in the Lord's Supper that we have to deal with from week to week. But here's the warning, and, and, it's, and it's very similar. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 29. He who eats... And drinks, eats, and drinks judgment to himself. If he does not judge the body rightly, so, so when you eat the bread and you drink the wine, you eat and drink judgment. If you don't take the time, if you don't give some thought to what you're doing, and he goes on and says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and number of you sleep. It was real condemnation. God says, I show up in this meal. That's why we believe it's a spiritual meal. God shows up and he says, and the people who are casual, they end up getting sick, weak. Some even die because of their response. I can't see that. You can't see that in others. It's just a heart thing. Whether you're playing with God when you take this meal or not. But he says, I want you to take time to judge yourselves. That's that's an examination of self. Verse 31, if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by God, we're disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. God wants this relationship with us says, I I want a right relationship with you, though. The the non-Christian, the world, when they take the bread and wine, they don't have a right relationship. They're condemned. Because they're not treating me appropriately. It's not humble. It's not observant of the distance. It's not yielded to my authority and my word. There's not that respect and that honor. Uh, So that's what's going on. The focus is on God and his pleasure. Um, It's understanding that we're in this relationship because God grants us access. And he grants us access through a mediator. Another thing you see in Exodus 19 in a strong way is that Moses was the mediator of the people during this time. You just read back through Exodus 19, and you'll see Moses goes up to the mountain, talks to God for the people, and as soon as he gets there, he says, this is what the people are saying. God says, okay, now go tell him this. And God, Moses goes down the mountain. He says, this is what God says. And they say, okay, well, then tell him this. And Moses goes back up the mountain, talks to God. God says, okay, so tell him this. And he goes back down the mountain. Three times in Exodus 19 alone. You see, Moses is the mediator between God and man. Which is why when you get in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews says, the Moses thing goes away. Christ is now the new mediator. And Christ is a better mediator. Let me share a little bit with you. Hebrews chapter 3 is parallel to what we're reading in Exodus 19. Hebrews 3, beginning at verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brethren. I don't know if I've ever used that for you guys. Maybe I should start using that. Would that help? Holy brethren. Good morning, holy brethren. See, we don't even think that way, do we? We're, we're so accustomed to our sin. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. The Apostle and High Priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence. And the boast of our hope firm until the end. Well, he's beginning to show us there this transfer from the building of this relationship with Moses to now in Christ. Uh, jump over to um, uh, Hebrews, let's see, chapter 12. And, and you see uh, it come out strong. Verse 18 To the end, for for you have not come to a mountain. That's the mountain of Sinai, where we are in Exodus 19. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched, into a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. So we haven't gotten there yet in Exodus 19. But the next section. When God does come down in that thick cloud and he blows the trumpet and the whole place begins to shake, Hebrews is picking up on it. It says, verse 20, they could not bear the command. If even, and here's, we already saw this command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses says, I am full of fear and trembling. Do you ever come into God's presence with fear and trembling? He says if you get it you do he says he says they understood when they saw that literal presence of God in the cloud coming down it was so loud it was screaming in the ears and it was so awesome and such the world was shaking in such a way they finally got it this this rope or fence or whatever it was they built it was like I get it now there's a big difference between God and me And they realized if they touched the boundary, they would die. They'd be stoned. They'd be killed. They were warned. Verse 22, "'You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant.'" And to the sprinkled blood blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So we need Jesus. We need a mediator. We need to be cleansed. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who's speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That's the summary. We still, in the New Testament, in our day, under the new covenant, should go into our time with God with reverence and awe, humbly, yielded, Observant, all of that in it's Still, the reverence and awe is still there because God is still the same God, a consuming fire. No one gets into this relationship improperly. We can only get into this relationship through Christ, through the mediator, cleansed by him. You think about this... uh, Consuming fire aspect of our God. Think about sin as a combustible sub- substance. What happens when you take a combustible substance and put it next to fire? I mean, it, it's going to blow up. It's going to burn. Um, I was doing some reading for Daniel. I was thinking about that class and and um, under Nero's persecution. When uh, the church was being persecuted Nero used to take Christians he was blaming Christians for a fire in Rome which I think he probably set to big remodel project but uh, when people got mad at him he said it wasn't me it was the Christians and he blamed the Christians and one of the things he did with Christians to show his distaste for them was burn them at the stake and as he burned them at the stake one of the ways they frequently did it was they would strip you of your clothes but put another garment on you and that other garment's like a robe that's been uh, soaked in wax so it's got wax on the outside and on the inside and they clothe you in that wax garment and tie that onto you and then pour tar or other flammable substance on you so you didn't just have hot wax starting to heat up onto your skin but you had other flammable substance so as you're hung on a stake And they light the fire. Everybody knows what's going to happen. Because you have a flammable substance. And now it's next to to fire. You're going to burn. And Christ says, no, 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 no. Let me clothe you in my righteousness. Let me clothe you in a fireproof substance. A substance that can withstand the consuming fire of holiness. Let me cleanse you with my blood so that you become my holy brethren. See, how wonderful it is to be in Christ. But I don't want us to lose the awe and the reverence that's needed in this relationship. We can't. He says, when we come before this God who is a consuming fire, we come with great gratitude. We were not consumed because we should have been consumed unless God came to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being a God who has set yourself apart to come to us. May we be a people who are constantly striving to set ourselves apart to come to you. May we only come through Christ realizing we have nothing to merit or earn a way to you. We are in great need of the righteous garments of Christ lest we be consumed. So we ask that you would clothe us in his righteousness, that you would forgive us of all our sins, that we would be holy as you are holy. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen.